How to dream, cowboys. Welcome back to the Westworld Podcast's Robot Movie Club. Today we're going to recap and review the 2000 film Stepford Wives, directed by Frank Oz and starring Nicole Kidman and Matthew Broderick. I'm James. And I'm Ryan. And this is the Westworld Podcast. So this movie... I remember it being horrible, and now I think that it's pretty okay. I have never seen this movie before today. Tell me, James, when you saw it first, how old were you, and what was your mindset during it? Were you in? Were you? Were you within a relationship that was strained? What? What hurt you? When I in two thousand and four, I would have been sixteen years old. Gross. Uh, and a, a sophomore in high school. Yeah, ew. And I remember going to the movies and seeing this, uh, funnily enough, with my mother. Your mother? Uh, yes. Your mother or your mother? My mother. Oh, okay. And I did not like it, but she loved it. Uh, there's a Bette Midler joke in the middle of the movie, a quite raunchy one, and I remember my mom losing her mind when she heard that. When... When she made the vibrator joke, is that the one? Yes, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> wow, we're giving it away. We're 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 putting the toot before the horn. I believe that's the exact phrase that everyone uses. So, director of this movie, Frank Oz. Uh, everybody knows him. He's basically half the cast of the Muppets. He plays, and he is Cookie Monster. He's Yoda. Yeah, exactly. Yoda. He's the one of the most... He is the most famous puppet of all time, right? You'd, he's Miss Piggy, also. Right, exactly. I mean, if you don't count maybe Kermit as the most famous puppet of all time, or Elmo could be up there, Big Bird, perhaps. There are a lot of famous pu- Muppets, pus- puppets, but Yoda is like... I don't know. I think he's probably the most iconic puppet known to man, and that is Frank Oz. He's also Cookie Monster, Miss Piggy, like you said, Grover, Sam the Eagle, Fozzie Bear, Animal. He co-directed Dark Crystal with Jim Henson. He directed Little Shop of Horrors, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Indian in the Cupboard. Do you remember that movie, James? Oh, yeah, I loved that shit. I didn't know he directed that. I know. It was one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, and when I saw he directed it, I was like, good job, Frank Oz. He also directed Bowfinger, which was bad. Oh, he directed In and Out, which is another film my mom loves. And my mom doesn't realize this, but she's a big Frank Oz fan. She and Yoda are closer than she ever thought possible. And he was he was passed over to direct Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Oh no. He was in the running. Do we know the yeah. the the gritty deets as to why he was strewn aside? No, but I, I figure maybe if, I, if I'm if i the, the producer, I'm like, yeah, Frank Oz is too camp. Well, that's the main complaint about this movie. The Rotten Tomatoes' main complaint, at least, is that they took a horror movie, which, if you don't know, The Stepford Wives 2004 is a remake of a movie from which year, James? 1975. Which is a remake, not really a remake, but an adaption of a book... Because all the best movies comes from books, books, James, as Frank Oz would later learn as he's trying to get the Harry Potter job. And they're like, "Uh, no, thank you. Was this before or after the Stepford Wives? Did that affect his his Harry Potter clout? I think uh, maybe it was after. And that's why they're like, yes, sorry, Frank. We just watched Stepford Wives. It's not happening. 
to be fair, I went into this movie with very low expectations because the internet as a whole has deemed it to be not good. I also went into it thinking it was going to be a horror film or a thriller because that's what the original was. And I haven't seen the original. I just like, you know, have seen the internet and it told me that it wasn't a horror. Would you agree the original was a horror slash have you seen it? I have not seen the original, but I know it's 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 a it's a like Criterion Collection classic piece of like suspense horror. Right. So it stands to reason when you're going into the Stepford Wives 2004 starring Nicole Kidman and convicted manslaughterist uh, Matthew Broderick. I'm not going to bring that up again. I just have to say it at least one time. <laughs> um, convicted? No, wait. Uh, probably not convicted, right? <laughs> well, convicted in the court of public opinion, James. It's obviously the same. Right, but then when you see on the cast list Christopher Walken and John Lovitz, you're like, oh, this is probably not going to be that scary. Well, I didn't know they were in it going into it. I was blissfully unaware, just understanding that this was a Nicole Kidman, Glenn Close, Matthew Broderick movie. So when it instantaneously was not a horror film, and it was like unequivocally a comedy film, it was surprising. Stepford Wives begins with a credit sequence, an intro credit sequence, which you don't see that much these days anymore. Yeah, it was about 8,000 minutes long. They were really common in the, the 90s and the early aughts. Wow, I remember three podcasts in a <laughs> row. I also want to point out, you have two podcasts in a row where when you're saying the people who star in the in the movie, right in the middle of it, you you before the second one, you pause like they don't matter just to try to, try to prove it to them. <laughs> I was just like, who gets top billing after Nicole Kidman? Uh, Walken? No. Yeah, Broderick. It's Broderick. So at a TV network company conference, the president of the network, Joanna, played by Nicole Kidman, is introduced as the keynote speaker. Apparently the TV network is doing really great thanks to her new line of gender competition-based reality TV shows. Right. Her her TV network EBN that she is currently running is airing what you could probably call bottom of the barrel scraping reality television but as we all know with how many people love the bachelor including myself on like I, I'm I no shame whatsoever it is beautiful television with with the amount of people who who like reality television she's selling something that people really enjoy so the network is doing well, as she makes very clear when she's like, uh, and I'll be getting a bonus for all my hard work. I'm kidding. I'm not, though. The first show she shows is Balance of Power, which is basically just like a Weakest Link parody where uh, husband and wife compete over uh, who knows the most about their marriage, I guess. Yeah, and both husband and wife look very, very unimpressed slash really angry with each other. It's hosted by the View moderator, original View moderator, and today host anchor at the time, Meredith Vieira. The second show they have is called I Can Do Better, which is a parody of Survivor. The conceit of this show is that you and your spouse go to a tropical island, separate on different sides, and spend the week banging professional porn stars and then you decide whether or not you want to stay together at the end of the, the week. 
but I can do better is hosted by future bus crotch grabbing conversation partner of Donald Trump, Billy Bush, who would be fired from today, eight years later for said conversation. But at the time he was on today with Meredith Vieira, both of them split up on the two fictional TV shows in the 2004 Stepford Wives. But <laughs> I was saw him, Billy. I was like, is that Billy Bush? I haven't seen him in a while. Why haven't I seen him in a while? Oh, yeah. So after they show the uh, the premiere of, of I Can Do Better, in which the husband, Hank, loses his spouse a, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? To a polyamorous collective of uh, <laughs> men and women. You were, lo- you were looking for the word like it was a small one, and you- then you said polyamorous collective. I was like, what? You were looking, you were searching throughout your, for that whole phrase. <laughs> but ba- basically, the wife leaves the husband for like six people. Right. Hank, played by Mark White, is the writer of School of Rock slash an actor slash the apartment roommate of Jack White in the School of Rock. Jack Black. Yeah, yeah. Jack White was that other guy who makes music. It's from the it's, White Stripes. Well, you know, black and white. Michael Jackson said it doesn't matter, so. Hank, from the premiere, appears in the audience, disgruntled. And uh, I love Joanna's reaction. She's, like, happy to see him. He's so angry about losing his wife on I Can Do Better that he attempts to shoot and murder Joanna, but he misses her and she survives. He gets tackled. She is still very psyched that this is all happening. The fact that she just got shot at is barely affecting her. And when she walks back into the station, the network home, to talk to a redhead that seems to be in charge of her. So, James, I thought she was running the network. Who is this person who's in charge of her? Yeah, well, Joanna is the president, so maybe this is the 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 chairman of the board of directors, I guess? Right. It's at least somebody who has more power than Joanna. Joanna walks up and goes, I'm fine. Nothing even hit me. He's a terrible shot. It's going to be amazing, and you know what this means now. We get Hank, and we get his wife back here, and we put him on a tour where they begin their healing. Bing, bang, boom. Another star television show from Joanna Everhart. But that's not going to work out because it turns out before heading to the conference, Hank had shot up his wife and her multiple lovers. And now the station is being sued, and it's a huge liability, and they have to let Joanna go. Hank shot at all six of his wife's new lovers, killing only one of them. And the other five are okay, so he was an awful shot at both the conference and at home. At that moment, the first kind of inclination that this is about to be a comedy occurs when Joanna, without hesitation, when she learns that somebody died, she was like, oh my god, is Tenkaro okay? The biggest of the prostitutes? And the redhead's like, it's okay, he's fine. Yeah, this movie has a real Tim Burton feel. If you told me that Tim Burton directed this in 2004, I would not be surprised. I feel like Frank Oz is just aping his style and his kind of comedy, his very, like, deadpan, a character says a ridiculous thing in a completely serious way attitude. Which is the majority of the movie, and a lot of the dialogue, pretty much half of whatever Bette Midler says as when we get up to her. But actually, the thing that was most like Tim Burton movies for me was the music. It was the composer, David Arnold, of Casino Royale, Independence Day, Broader Godzilla, and Tomorrow Never Dies. He hasn't had a job since 2014, and perhaps 
going back to 2004, the Stepford Wives is why. But to be fair, the composer's just doing what the director tells them to do, and all of the music was just like, uh, David Arnold, hi. Do you know what Danny Elfman does? Do that. Yeah, have you seen Edward Scissorhands? That's what we're going for. Right, yeah, except for it's not Scissorhands, but it's robots. So, so just, just, just make it different. Thanks, Dave. At home, Joanna is consoled by her kind husband, Walter, played by Matthew Broderick. It turns out with all of the commotion of the day, Joanna has forgotten that today is their wedding anniversary. She apologizes, and together they decide that they should leave New York City and start a new life in the suburbs to repair their marriage. Walter was a VP at the network that Joanna worked at, and in solidarity, quit along with her when he heard that well, <laughs> she didn't quit, but he quit when she got fired, or as would be talked about in the future, a raw deal, quote-unquote. No, even though she was totally fired with cause. <laughs> right, I mean, to, but he, she got shot at, James. Doesn't she deserve some street cred? So the next day, they're driving with their kids to Stepford, a gated community in Connecticut. Now, James, you and I grew up in Connecticut. I am still in Connecticut. The place where they shot this movie was actually in Connecticut. Fairfield County. The place where they were... And the script has them anyway. They, in fact, reference Connecticut multiple times. But it's just interesting because we live in a... Or we did when we were growing up. We live in a, a place in Connecticut that's not Fairfield County. It's it's definitely not, like, a city. But it is a suburb. But it's just very interesting the way that they portray Connecticut, a place where I'm yes. in currently. Yeah, we'll get into it, but I think there's some some inaccuracies. But, I mean, it was filmed in Connecticut. It looks like Connecticut. If you've never been to Connecticut, Connecticut is basically like a series of, for most of the part, it's a series of suburbs like built into a forest, basically. Um, which right. is nice. I like that about it. There was a forest there at one time, and now there's a house, and you're like, if this house wasn't here, it would definitely still be a forest. Right, and your neighbors can't look into your bathroom because there's a bunch of trees in the way. Exactly, and you have rock walls in your backyard that were set up by farmers. They arrive at their new McMansion home. Everyone is excited except for Joanna, who seems really despondent after... Apparently recent <laughs> electroshock therapy. What is this, criminal minds? When they arrive, they're greeted by their real estate agent, Claire Wellington, played by Glenn Close. Glenn Close, who is the aunt by marriage to a friend of Ryan and I's. I know, and we, talk, we talked a lot about Glenn Close in high school, like too much, because uh, our friend would come back from a family reunion and he'd be like, yeah, she, he, she was there. She was super nice. She calls when she sees Claire slash Nicole Kidman after her electric shock therapy in the car. She calls her Energizer. Claire gives them a tour of their new house, which includes smart house features like a smart uh, fridge and a smart toilet, which analyzes your stool. And then there's also this totally unnecessary, horrible looking CGI robot dog. They spared no expense. And this was still three years from the iPhone being released. So it's interesting to see what they thought the smart home was eventually going to be while we're living in an age where, like, the smart home is an actual real thing now. And we know what those panels on the 
wall look like and we know what Apple and all of these people who are coming up with phones were creating. So Frank Oz in 2004 had an opportunity to show us the future. And I'll tell you, I was looking at that touchpad. I was like, ooh, boy, looks like AOL. I do like the uh, the recurring joke of the talking smart fridge. Like when, whenever she takes an item out of it, like she takes the milk out of the fridge for a second. And the fridge is like, we need milk. We need milk. And you're right. That robo puppy, the robo rover 3000. I don't know why it's here. It's awful CGI. It actually, it looks like the CGI of the gold rushing down in The Hobbit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, Nicole Kidman, to to give her you her vibe in this moment, she is not psyched at all to be in the new place she is and be less powerful than she used to be. This is a very New York City movie. All of the characters are from New York City. And they hate Connecticut because it's not like New York City. Even though they're only two hours away from New York City, they act like this is like a crazy new reality for them. Say New York City one more time. New York City. (laughs) That night, Joanna sleeps alone while Walter watches, looking concerned for her. When she wakes up the next day, the house is totally furnished. Claire comes by to pick Joanna up and take her for a tour of the gated community. They pass by the Men's Association, which is the Gentleman's Club, and the Day Spa, where the wives hang out. Claire makes it clear that the men go to the men's place and the women go to the women's place. The men go to the men's place, so they're they're out of our hair. Do you know what I mean? She says that the town is 200 years old, founded by George and Martha Washington. It has no crime, no poverty, and no pushing. At the spa, Joanna meets with the other wives, and they are all dead-eyed... Super cheerful, mannequin-like women dressed in old-fashioned sundresses. They start to exercise, and they're all in dresses. Joanna is like, you guys are going to exercise just like this? And then Glenn Close slash Claire goes, yeah, I mean, imagine if our husband saw us looking like, oh, I don't know, you? (laughs) She didn't say you, but she basically described exactly how Joanna looked. Claire then leads an aerobics class, and all the activities are based on household chores, which really disturbs Joanna. Yeah, it's like a household chore version of Karate Kid, wax on, wax off, but in this case, it's like scrub on, scrub off, and you're cleaning dishes. The patriarchy in this moment is is gleeful, while the feminists are like, Wah! excuse me. Speaking of patriarchy... Walter drives over to the Men's Association and is greeted eagerly by everyone inside, and they all seem like they're having a much better time than the women at the day spa. While he's driving there, he sees two dudes playing golf. Women in dresses are their caddies, and they're smiling and very excited. At the men's club outside it, all you see is muscle cars, motorcycles. Walter's driving a Mercedes. The men meet him out front and bring him inside. And then there is a instantaneous quick cut to the 4th of July that comes out of nowhere and it's the first time I was like what whoa my god this movie just gave me whiplash yeah it's the 4th of July and they're having a neighborhood picnic everyone in the family is happy to be there except Joanna who thinks this is all pretty gross they encounter a few more of the creepy Stepford wives and they also run into also fellow newcomers Bobby and Dave Markowitz who are played by Bette Midler and John Lovitz The thing about these characters is that they're super Jewish, and that's basically it. (laughs) That's the joke. 
As Joanna is walking into the picnic, she says that all the women are deranged, flight attendant friendly, and they're going to say hi to her, and it's going to be awful. She's the only one wearing black at the entire party, and all the women do. They come over, they say that Walter is looking good. One of the girls looks down at Walter, says she has very nice khakis on, and says, now I know why it's called Banana Republic. And I was like, oh my god, what, what? Wow, and I have this. I had the same reaction Joanna did, which was, uh, "Did you just reference my husband's dick?" But Bobby and Dave are like normal people, but uh, even so, they're both like pretty crass New Yorker types. After that, they bump into Jerry and Roger, who their thing is that they're gay, but they're also kind of an odd couple because Jerry is very straight laced and conservative, and. Roger is very uh, crass and and bombastic. Bette Midler plays Bobby Markowitz, an author. Her last one about her mother was called I Love You But Please Die. Joanna and Bobby know each other, both being recently famous, successful women who are now living in Stepford. John Lovitz, like you said, is playing Dave. That's the first one of the first inclinations that this is just going to be a straight comedy. He's a comedian and like you said roger bannister is there with his husband the lawyer jerry roger bannister himself is an architect and is flamboyant and is played by roger bart who played leo bloom in the producers on broadway when i saw it as a kid and then in the movie version of producers he played carmen the director's boyfriend alongside matthew broderick the next year in 2005 Yeah, because he originated that role on Broadway, and then when Matthew Broderick left, he actually took over for Leo Bloom. So then they, a year before that, they met each other doing the Stepford Wives. Claire announces the start of the town square dance. The newcomers initially feel awkward about it, but they try their best. The dance is going well until one woman, Sarah, played by Faith Hill in what is definitely a bit part, Begins to spin wildly and then collapses. At one point, she's spitting at a speed that is impossible. She is saying, and then spins super fast and then comes to a stop instantly and falls over. When she falls over, she hits like a ton of bricks. Everyone panics until Claire's husband, Mike, played by Christopher Walken, arrives on the scene. The men surround Sarah so that Joanna can't get a good look at what's happening, but something does happen, which causes a loud noise and a bright spark. Joanna wants to take Sarah to the hospital, but everyone ignores her. Joanna was kind of looking under the men, like between their legs, and saw Mike turn Sarah's head. He saw a little spark come out of Sarah. So she is now reacting like a person who just saw a spark come out of someone's neck, being like, shouldn't we do something? That was very odd. But while everyone around her is like, no, 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 you're the one who's insane. That night, Joanna and Walter fight about what happened that day. Joanna is very disturbed and suspicious of the town folk, but Walter is at his wit's end with her negativity and threatens to leave her. Now, okay, so I I will say there were reports after this movie came out that Matthew Broderick didn't like his character. And he said that it, that making this movie was taxing, is how he described it. And it was in this moment where I saw his character complaining to his wife about how she doesn't appreciate him and about how he's done with it, 
right after he moves to Connecticut. And I was like, I get why he doesn't like this character. He's such a wuss. Joanna apologizes to him and implores him to stay. They do end up reconciling, but Walter wants her to make some changes, starting with he wants her to stop wearing black all the time. She says no more black. Only career-oriented inner-city castrating bitches wear black. Is that who you want to be? And then Nicole Kidman says, ever since I was a little girl. Yeah, she also apologizes for being too busy. It's like, yeah, you're so busy we haven't had sex in a year. Which is a amount of time that she acknowledges is long. And then she just like, you know, gives up on all of her principles and moral values and just gives in and says that's all going to be fine. Sure, I'll do it. It's like not even on his birthday. It's been a full year. Well, I mean, to be fair, he's lame and she's awesome. The next day, Joanna has totally changed her look. She's now wearing a bright pink sundress like the other wives. And Bobby and Roger, who've come to visit her, think that she looks crazy. Bobby says she looks like Betty Crocker. Roger says she looks like Betty Ford. And Joe says, well, I have to make this change. My husband was strong and forceful last night. So now I'm a homemaker and I'm psyched about it. Can't you see how psyched I am? They decide to go together to Sarah's house to see if she's okay. Uh, The door's unlocked, so they just walk in. And when they get there, they can hear that Sarah and her husband are having loud, raucous sex upstairs. As Roger opens the door to go in, he actually says, he's like, oh my god, it's open. They're so sweet and trusting here. They stand at the bottom of the stairs, listening to the outrageously loud intercourse coming from the room above. As that ends... After a screaming climax, Roger's going up there, but they drag him back as Sarah walks down the stairs to get her husband nachos that he asked for as Roger finds her remote. Yeah, it's a shiny brass remote with the name Sarah on it. And by pressing buttons, they cause her to, like, walk robotically backwards. And they also, like... I don't know, cause her breasts to lift up and get larger. And, uh... As her husband starts to come out of the room, they all get scared and run away. As Sarah smashes into the floor once more, a place she's becoming more and more familiar with. And you're right, they don't see that part, so they don't think of anything of it again, and they get on out of there. They go back to Bobby's house, and it's an absolute pigsty in there. As Roger walks in, he goes, Are you making anthrax in here? And the TV show Harvey Birdman, one of the uh, original Adult Swim classics, is on TV. An actual classic. Bobby mentions that she's been working on her new book. And Roger says, Can't you get someone to clean in here? Someone brave? She says Dave is telling her that she has to do it herself. And then they go over all of what their therapists have told them and what drugs they have been on, whether it be Zoloft, Xanax, Prozac, or Viagra. And then they switch immediately to just, like, asking Roger about his relationship with no expositional change whatsoever. It was the second time this movie has kind of just jumped and asked the audience to be like, no, 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 it's fine. Don't don't worry that there was no transition there whatsoever. I mean, did we talk about that uh, the reason Roger and his husband are having a marital spat is that because Jerry... Roger's not husband, because it's 2004, but life partner, Jerry, has become a Republican. 
And Roger can just cannot wrap his mind around the idea of a gay Republican. <laughs> he said he became a gay Republican. And then uh, I think Joanna says, what's wrong with that? And he's like, it's the, like wanting to be gay with a bad haircut. So very, they're very, they're tackling this issue very sensitively. All right. For 2004, this was a, uh, a very woke perspective. Yeah. They're tackling all the things having to do with both Jews and the gays. By the end of the Stepford Wives, Israel and Palestine will be the best of friends. At the men's association, the husbands are playing with RC robots, which reminds one of the classic TV show Battlebots, inexplicably on Comedy Central, even though Viacom also owned the Sci-Fi Channel, and they should have just aired Battlebots on the Sci-Fi Channel, because it makes no sense to have it on Comedy Central. Wow, it looks like we undug up an axe for you to grind. Walter wins, and everyone's having a great time. This is when the movie really takes a turn. Walter sits down with Mike to ask uh, about how he's getting along, and Walter's impressed with everybody's hot wife. He's like, oh, everybody's really uh, looking good. And Mike's like, yeah, they're, they're gorgeous, hotties, with a body. It turns out all the men are chauvinists and, and don't have high opinions of women. Yeah, no way. That came out of nowhere. <laughs> the next day, Joanna convinces Bobby and Roger to come with her to the meeting of the Stepford Book Club. Joanna wants to discuss a Lyndon Johnson biography, but instead Claire has chosen a holiday shopping magazine. It's a Christmas-themed holiday shopping magazine, and then for some reason, they all make a really big deal about uh, Bobby being Jewish, and they're reading a Christmas magazine, but they're like, but don't worry, you could use pine cones for making a menorah, or you could use a pine cone, uh, I don't know, other really Jewish things. You could wear a pine cone, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not a good Jew. I don't know what you do with pine cones. (laughs) But Bobby makes a joke, she's like... Yeah, well, I could just line pine codes up on my front yard saying I'm a big Jew. Yeah, and after a short while, they're like, yeah, that's a great idea, and all clap. When they get there, Claire says, this book allows us to celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ with yarn. And you're right, they said, you know, the chapter on pine codes is great. They're not just for wreaths and centerpieces anymore. Your pinecone snowman can be Jewish. You can just add one of those little beanie things. And Bobby's yeah, like, oh, true. yeah, a beanie thing. Exactly. That's exactly what it's called. Bobby makes a joke. Everyone's saying that, oh, I'm going to make pinecone centerpiece. I'm going to make a pinecone. Bobby's like, I'm going to attach a pinecone to the end of my vibrator and have a real Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. And then someone's like, okay, I'm going to make a life-size Santa Claus out of pinecones. And Roger, like... Without any shame, is like, oh, wait, okay, I love that. At the men's association, Walter tells the other husbands that he's hoping that Stepford will change his wife, Joanna. At this point, they call over Ted to have him bring his wife over. I thought women weren't allowed in the men's association, but whatever. Ted's wife is there, and he gets the $20 that he owes Walter by using her as a human ATM. He puts his credit card in her mouth and then she spits out $21 bills. So she has that one utility. What other utilities do you believe she has? I got a lot of questions about this. Uh, are all the wives human ATMs? Whose money is that in their body? Is that the bank's money? Did the bank okayed this? Is it their own money? If it's their own money, why do they have to use an ATM to get at it? 
Do the wives refill themselves? Why are they always around the corner ready to give them money? Like, is that guy losing in robot so often that he needs someone around the corner all the time to give him money? Uh, it also, like, the connection was slow. It took her a long time. And uh, we'll get into it, but this scene where it's revealed that she can use her mouth to read an ATM card and then spit out money completely contradicts the explanation of how the Stepford Wives are created, but we'll get there. Right. Matthew Broderick's character, Walter, seems to react in a semi-positive way that makes Mike happy when Mike is, you know, introducing the idea that maybe these people are robots and that is, is that fine with you, Mike? Are you going to rat us out, Mike? And Mike's like, uh, uh, she gives singles. Pretty cool. That night, Joanna has baked hundreds of cupcakes because the kids are going to camp. I'm not really sure why. Walter and the son play with the robot dog. He still looks like shit. Bobby and Dave come over, and once they arrive, the men immediately leave for the men's association. David asks Bobby why she doesn't make cupcakes like Joanna does. And Bobby's like, why don't you make the cupcakes? And John Lovitz says, uh, because I have a penis. And I was like, ugh, the god dang patriarchy. Yeah, it's a movie with a message, folks. As a, a, femidum, a feminist undertone. The Men's Association have invited Jerry and Roger on this particular night, but Roger is embarrassing Jerry with his antics. I guess, what, he's just a little too out and proud? But the thing is, like, the the gay caricature that Roger is playing is only slightly more flaming than John Lovitz is acting normally. Right. It's not that much. Roger is there. He says he loves the space as an architect. It's like Sherlock meets Ralph Lauren. It says you have taste, but also a scrotum. And Jerry's like, uh, not tonight. And then they're like, oh, whore, whore. They both call each other whores back and forth, which is hilarious. Like a couple that's happy, which contradicts what's about to happen. Joanna and Bobby sneak into the men's association to spy on their husbands. They discover a hallway filled with family portraits of all the residents of Stepford. And they see someone coming down the hallway and they hide because they think they're about to be caught. But it turns out it's just Roger who makes it extremely dated Silence of the Lambs reference. (laughs) Yeah, but at least Roger is a confidant because he lets them get out of there. And when the men come around the corner, he says he didn't see a soul. And then he also asks what's in the rooms around them. Everybody other than Roger has a red coat on now, including Jerry, whom tells Roger to check out the room to his left. They take him into a dark room where he sees something at the far end of the room which horrifies him. And he stares and looks back at Jerry. And then the the scene cuts. Damn, 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 damn is not the music that was used there. But if I was consulting, I would have been like, how about you go for a damn, 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 damn. The next day, Joanna and Bobby head to Roger's place, but he's not there. Outside the trash can, they find one of his favorite shirts, and when they open the trash, they find all of his, like, kitschy camp things have been thrown away, including his flashy clothes, some playbills to the Broadway musical Hair, a framed picture of Orlando Bloom, and a t-shirt with Vigo Mortensen. It's 2004, okay? This, these guys were big deals. The Vigo shirt was the the last straw, the thing that let Joanna and Bobby know that there was a true problem. And the 
Broadway bill was to hairspray, James, okay? Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, well, hairspray sucks and hair's a much better musical. Wow. Wowie kazowie. (laughs) I'm not going to get into this with you right now, James, but I am livid. (laughs) Jerry tells everyone to meet at the town hall where they see Roger, who has totally changed his look. He's now wearing a suit and acting very boring. Apparently, he's also converted to Christianity because he brings that up. And he's running for state senate. They are putting out there what they believe a state senate run would be in perfection. A man in a Brooks Brothers suit talking about his love of God and justice. Roger Bannister is now very different. And it's cool to see the actor be one complete thing and then another thing and very convincingly in a moment's time back at home joanna tells walter she wants to leave the town and he seems disappointed saying that i guess you never really will change but he does agree that he'll leave with her together but not tonight he wants to go the next day he's stalling he's stalling james at night the robotic dog wakes joanna up and he's holding a remote control with her name on it. What? So she's suspicious, and she goes down to the office, and she's on the laptop, and she's Googling all the names of all the Stepford wives, and realizing that none of them look like the way they do now, like blonde bimbos and sundresses, and that they were all high-powered career women at one point. Faith Hills Sarah used to be the CEO of a trans-global airline. This is just, she's realizing it's a place where Wives who were very successful are now not very successful, and their husbands are living it up with robot dogs. Yeah, even the robot dog apparently used to be some famous dog and was replaced. It was Airbud. Walter wakes up and finds her really creepily. He's like, oh, what are you doing? But she tells him she's just looking up apple pie recipes at four in the morning. Which every normal human being has done. I did it last night. The next day, Joanna goes to see Bobby to tell her all the things she's discovered, but when she gets there, she notices the house has been totally cleaned, and that Bobby is now a Stepford wife, with the sundress and the blonde hair, and acting really creepy. Oh no, both of Joe's best friends have been turned on her, she's the only one left. As Bobby's kids come down the stairs, Bobby says, thank you for leaving your requests on my email. The first son wanted a peanut butter sandwich and a Rolex. The second wanted German chocolate cake and action figures. Get with the third one who wanted a, and also a BLT. But there was no Boba Fett action figure. So to make up for it, Bobby gives him 500 bucks. And with a sigh, he says that's fine. Yeah, she gives him a Mace Windu and a Queen Amidala action figure. Because it's 2004, okay? Mace Windu and Queen Amidala are the most progressive action figures he could have gotten. Joanna tells to try Bobby what's been going on, but Bobby isn't listening. She says the most important thing to her now is her cookbook. While offering to help Joanna change too, Bobby, like, places her hand on a gas stove, but isn't concerned when starts burning her. Yeah, that's, um, generally disconcerting. Driving home, Joanna wants to leave and she tries to call up the camp where her kids are staying, but they've already been picked up by Walter. That is... Not great news for Walter, because Joanna is a driven lady who is now on a warpath for her children. She goes back to the men's association, and there she finds a portrait of her family, except that she, in the picture, has become a Stepford wife as well. In the portrait, she has blonde hair, while in real life, she has brown hair. 
She's looking at a portrait of her future, one in which she is no longer herself. A horror in a film that has not been a horror up to this very moment. Walter has gathered with the other men, and he confesses that after marrying Joanna, he felt like she was better at him at everything, including sex. And since then, he's harbored an inferiority complex, and that all of the husbands in Stepford were once uh, feeling the same way. Right. He makes the point that you're a better woman than I am a man, and that can't be, so I'm going to make you a robot with the help of my new pals. At one point, like you said, he's like, you're better at running, you're better at fighting, you're better at sex, don't deny it. And she very snidely goes, I wasn't going to. Mike plays this promotional video which explains the process used to create Stepford Wives that also... This blows up a lot of the logic of the movie. In a cheesy 1960s style cartoon, it's shown that they insert nanochips into their wives' brains. I love the video, actually, it's pretty funny. Like, step one, we locate the brain. <laughs> they insert several nanochips into the brain, which turns them into the Stepford Wives. Mike reveals that Mike is just a nickname and a reference to his old job at Microsoft and that all the other men come from other backgrounds that would be useful in making robots like GE, Disney, and AOL. And right when he says AOL, Joanna quips back, oh, is that why they're so slow? I mean, were people still on AOL in 2004? My dad still uses AOL to this day, so yes. As the screen goes back, Dave says... Uh, offhandedly, oh, it's a painting again. Yeah, that was a good... I feel like probably Lovitz ad-libbed that line and it was good. Right, and you have to keep it in if you're Frank Oz. That's some Lovitz gold. But I feel like there were a few write-ups of this script, and probably in the original one, the women were replaced by robots. Because there's many things here which do not jive with this computer chip logic. One... What was Roger looking looking down on in the dark room that they showed him? What, did they show him a bunch of computer chips? He's like, oh no, computer chips. <laughs> Two, how did that Stepford wife shoot money out of her mouth if she's not a ro- if she's just a person with computer chips? How the fuck did that work? How, what, what was sparking in, in Faith Hill's neck if she just has computer chips in her brain? Uh, you've, made a, you've made your point. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Joanna appeals to Walter asking if he really wants to be married to a drone instead of a flesh-and-blood woman. The men corner Joanna, and they force her to go down into the transformation room with Walter. Again, on the slab comes a robot body version of Joanna. What the fuck do they need this for (laughs) if they're just going to put chips in her brain? As this is all happening, Mike slash Christopher Walken basically makes the point and the overall hypothesis of the men in this video which are while women were trying to become men men decided to become gods with awful inferiority complexes before joanna enters the transformation pod she asks the men you know do they really uh think that their wives mean it when they say they love you now that they've been replaced with drones and she kisses walter but he says nothing how dare you walter stand up Stand up, Matthew Broderick. All four foot and ten inches of you. The next scene shows all of the Stepford wives in a grocery store, including Joanna, who is now a fully-fledged Stepford wives. And she's buying Alphabet cereal, which is a real throwback for me. I used to eat that. And Nicole Kidman's Joanna looks like 
the most Stepford Stepford wife that's ever Stepford wived with Stepford wived. She's like, you know, six foot eight million and has big blonde hair. She is the she's the the cutout, like the first Stepford wife you would ever make would be her. That night, the Stepford community is hosting a grand ball, which is the coming out party for Walter and his new Stepford wife, Joanna. During the party, Joanna kind of, I don't know, like halfway seduces Mike into following her into the garden, while Walter slips away to the transformation room, and it turns out Walter's on the good side because he activates a self-destruct program which destroys all the computer chips in all the women's brains. How does he know how to do this? Right. And he was the VP of a network, of a TV network. Right. Of course he has complicated hacking skills. Intimate knowledge of how to self-destruct all of the robots, or at least get their chips to explode. During all this, Tim Burton-esque music is happening once more. Walter gets back to the party, and all of the women have now come to their senses, and they're cornering the men as if they're going to beat them up. And it's revealed that Joanna was never a Stepford wife, and that it was all a clever ruse... And that she had won Walter over that night, uh, asking, you know, if she, if she, if she he really thought the Stepford wives could love their husbands. And Mike now flies off the handle. He's like, I can't believe you've done this, Walter. You're going to pay for this. And he goes to attack him. But Joanna smashes him with a brass candlestick and removes his head because he's been a robot this whole time. That is a twist, James. And I didn't see it coming. I'll be very honest with you. Joe walks up to Christopher Walken, says, I was in the garden thinking of your smile and aftershave, and realized I can do better. The name of her reality show that she was going to put on from the beginning. That's a callback. Goes straight-faced, and like you said, attacks him. And he's a robot. Did, did you, when you saw it in 2004, did you think that was surprising? I did. But I should say, it's at this point in rewatching the movie, I started to think, like, yeah, this movie's only 90 minutes, but this third act is dragging. <laughs> really? You didn't like this yeah. scene? <laughs> well, I mean, I did, but this scene also dragged. Um, so, we find out that the real villain is Claire Wellington, played by Glenn Close. She created Stepford because the, she was also, like, a, a high-powered career woman, and it ruined her marriage... When her husband, Mike, who uh, the robot Mike was based off of, cheated on her with her beautiful young research assistant. So she made a, after murdering those two, she made a plan where she was going to turn all the women in the Stepford community into robots to lull the men into a false sense of security or something and then turn them into robots as well. She says that she was a world famous brain surgeon and engineer to explain why she had the ability to insert nano chips into people's brains and make Mike the robot at the beginning by herself without the help of anyone else. Yeah, that doesn't make any damn sense. Yeah, I know. She's asking for a screwdriver. She's just going nuts trying to fix Mike. She, Joanna's like, you know, you're doing this to the women. What The men? What about the men? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to be robots too. Everyone's going to be a robot. I want a perfect world. The story is logically consistent. Don't question it. Right, exactly. And so I killed both those people who were cheating on me. And then I made Stepford and 
you know, where would people never notice a town full of robots? Connecticut. Bam. And I was like, oh, that hurts. Yeah, I mean, also they keep on saying robots. There was only one robot in the movie. Everyone else is a person with computer chips in their brain. Right. The only robot was the ATM. No, the only robot was Mike. Oh. <laughs> I think the Ted's wife is Ted's wife is seen in that scene coming to her senses. So I don't know. I guess after she had the computer chips, she then had to have surgery to take the complicated machinery uh, that comprises her ATM parts out of her body. Right. Her lungs were chock full of $1 bills. Claire then commits suicide by kissing Mike's robot lips and getting an electric shock to her brain. What? Was it, what? Uh, I don't think she thought it was going to electrocute her. I didn't think it was going to electrocute her because, and you know what? To be fair, I have never kissed a severed robot head, but I would assume without it being attached to the power, um, perhaps the power is in the brain. I'm just... She got electrocuted? How? Why? Also, this is a very lazy writing thing where it's like, and at the end of the movie, the villain just kills himself. Okay, well, that that's that's one way to deal with it. You could hope that, as the character, she didn't think that she was going to kill herself. She was just going to... I mean, she didn't have in like the back of her head, you know what, I have a fail-safe to get out of here. All I got to do is kiss severed head, electrocute, and bing, bang, boom, I'm done. I hope she didn't know. Six months later, Larry King, who we used to have before Pierce Morgan, who sucks, took his job, uh, is interviewing the three main characters, and Walter's there also, and they're all now, they've turned their trauma into uh, opportunity. Joanna made a documentary film about the Stepford Wives. Bobby wrote a book of poetry entitled Wait Till Your Husband's Asleep and Then Cut It Off. And uh, Roger actually won his state senate campaign, but I guess with the liberal policies. So Joanna reiterates that Walter came through for her, and they're not doing perfect, their relationship, but they're doing great. She makes the point that perfect doesn't work, and Larry King asks, so what about the rest of the husbands? And Bobby's like, well, of course they're pigs, but we're trying to help them. We're trying to re-educate them. They're still in Stepford, and they're all under house arrest. Right, and then we get a... a, The very last scene is a short little bit where the husbands are like, oh, they're shopping at the grocery store, but they're not good at it. And actually, I love uh, John Lovett's delivery of the last line. He's like, can you guys help me find the right toilet paper? If I bring the wrong one home, my wife's going to kill me. (laughs) And then over the loudspeaker, it sounds like a robot goes, no talking, keep shopping. This movie is not great. You know who liked this movie? No. Roger Ebert, who gave it three out of four stars. Three out of four? Did he have any? Yeah. Qu- did he have any quippy one-liners to describe his feelings on the flick? I mean, basically, uh, he he said what you would expect. Like it was a funny, unique movie, but I mean, it's got a lot of flaws. There are things that don't make sense. And, and, you know, not all the jokes land that well. <laughs> also, the movie, by this point, is incredibly dated. There's so many references that just, like, are not funny in the year 2018. Like, I get them, because I was, I was a teenager in 2014, so I get the reference. Or rather, in 2004, I was a teenager, so I get it. But I, I don't think a young person would get a lot of this. No, I mean, 
This movie cost ninety million dollars to make. Frank Oz said Jeez. he kind of he kind of got lost in the budget. He wanted to make a small, intimate film, but when all the stars started showing up, and in the Matthew Brodericks and the Bette Midlers and the Nicole Kidmans, he kind of felt like he caved a little to the pressure of the studio to make it bigger, to make it grander. When he was looking to make like an intimate Stepford Wives film that was a quirky comedy, a little bit horror version of it. And he's like, I kind of feel like I lost my way at points of it. And you can feel that when you're watching the movie, that there are some points you're like, this is a little weird. And there are weird jumps that don't make a whole lot of sense. But you know what? Overall, I was thoroughly entertained and I laughed out loud at a bunch of things that were said in this movie. Oh, yeah, me too. Bette Midler and John Lovitz are both really funny. I like some of the deadpan like comedy lines delivered by... Kidman and Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick's really good at just deadpan delivery of ridiculous lines. He He's better at deadpan delivery of serious lines than he is at defeating Godzilla. He's awful at that. He's not even, he's, he's, he's the worst at it. Yeah, but watching this movie again, I was like, oh, well, young Matthew Broderick was actually pretty handsome. Right. When you put him next to Nicole Kidman, he looks like the tawniest person that's ever lived. Yes. Well, he that's why he was great for this role cuz like he is like shorter than Nicole Kidman and she is like pretty way out of his league basically. He made the right decision at the end and he didn't turn his wife into a ATM robot. So perhaps all is forgiven. Again, he complained after this movie was made and said it wasn't fun to make. So I watched the bloopers and they were all laughing. Granted, it was like four minutes long, which is not that long, but they seem to be laughing in the bloopers, Matt, so maybe get over it. Yeah, you said what there were some major drams on set. Right, yeah. It's Frank Oz described it as Bette Midler was being a diva, and that affected the set negatively. And uh, Matt Broderick just said he didn't have fun. And so... Uh, But you know what? Those things, I feel like, didn't come through in the movie. It didn't feel heavy-hearted or like it was trying to stab you with a point that often. Obviously, they were making some, like, really specific points when it came to Judaism and homosexuality. and But, I mean, the points they were making there weren't, like, they weren't slamming it into people's noses. It was just that... Bette Midler and Roger Bannister, the lines their characters had were just very, like, quippy and based on the time. And it's it, it was like they were answering 2004's questions of, like, what do you see a Jew and a gay man in our society as? And what questions right. would you like to ask them? Right. What is What are the broadest caricatures of New York City Jews and uh, a gay couple that we can put on screen? And I will say this. How dare you come at Connecticut like that? Only people from Connecticut <laughs> can hate Connecticut. I hate Connecticut, but I'm allowed. I'm from here. Yeah, the, a lot of the, the conceptions of Connecticut in this movie are weird. Like, they go to, like, a hoedown in a barn. Uh, that's not really, like... Uh, that, that's funny, because, like, you know, Connecticut is a pretty northeast New England state, but we do we got hicks in Connecticut. You'll see Confederate flags in Connecticut. That makes no sense, but you see them. I think you can you can see them anywhere. There are people of every kind all over the place. But I I mean in in the places where they were even filming, there are gated white like not white only communities, but they are. Hey, now that I think about it, this was a white only movie, huh? 
Yeah, but there's not a single minority character. No, I think one of the some of the prostitutes in uh, in I Can Do Better uh, were non-white, which doesn't say a lot. Yeah, that makes it much better. Bobby <laughs> said, "I think the first thing Bobby says is." This is a July 4th celebration. There are no Asians here or African-Americans. What are we even doing? Right. And, uh, you know, worth pointing out, I'm, I, I don't know if this is still true, but it was true at the time when I learned this factoid, that Connecticut is actually the most segregated state in America. Wow. Like, Obviously, that is that is de facto uh, segregation. There's no rule that says that uh, the state has yeah, to be segregated. It sounds like we're being <laughs> purposely kept from each other. That's... Yeah, we're we're not in a military state, James, yet. Yeah, but I mean, all in all, a a C plus movie, not a garbage movie by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think. Wally Stepford Fives and iRobot rank them. Uh, Wally Stepford Wives iRobot, just what you said. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I do Wally iRobot Stepford Wives, and I didn't not like okay. Stepford Wives. I just really liked iRobot. You know. For all the, except for all the scenes Shia LaBeouf was in, and all the scenes that Will Smith was jumping over stuff on his motorcycle, and and all the scenes that just wasn't the robot, but it was a great movie. Yeah, I keep trying to pick uh, a movie that uh, is going to be shitty for us to talk about, but I keep failing. <laughs> Movies I keep kicking keep being mediocre. And they're not fucking train wrecks like I want. <laughs> well, you know, it is my turn to pick the movie this week james and i've been putting a lot of thought into it do, do you believe me i believe you well you're wrong i haven't put it be putting any thought into it i just googled oh. it and came up with it i'm i'm i deceived you oh do you feel deceived i do oh man feel that in your core anyway uh <laughs> the next robot movie that we're going to be watching on the westworld robot movie club is the 2005 Robin Williams vehicle, Robots. Oh, fuck me. Hey, you picked that. That movie's horrible. I have seen that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you said that you wanted to pick something that wasn't good, and, and, and this is what's tough. Robin Williams is in two separate robot movies, Bicentennial yes. Man and Robots, both of which we should watch. And honestly, Bicentennial Man is the one we should... Do you want to watch Bicentennial Man instead? I feel like I do, but not if it's got, like, a three-hour running time. It, I, it, it really might. It was the other thing was, like, <laughs> I, I, I was going to pick AI with Haley Joe Osment, but I haven't looked at that running time. I bet it's... A, I bet oh, it's, yeah, that's a long-ass movie. Yeah, it's, it's the entire day. Yeah, you know what? Robots is a tight 90 minutes. Let's do it. <laughs> the other one I was going to do was Big Hero 6. That might be in the future, because I really like that one, but... Uh, and and actually, I was between Big Hero Six, Chappie, and Robots. So <laughs> I picked Robots because honestly, I've seen Bicentennial Man. I've seen Robots. There, I I think I liked Bicentennial Man more. So I was like, let's watch the worst robot movie with Robin Williams. All right. What year did that come out? Uh, two thousand five. Two thousand five. So uh, I'll, you know, I'll probably reiterate this when he said, but like, so when I I. I went to the movies with my friend Alex in 2005, and I was like, well, he let me pick the movie, and I'm like, oh, well, this movie's, well, it's got Mel Brooks in it, and we both like Mel Brooks. Maybe we'll go see it. And you, know, you go to the movies, and uh, you picked the movie, and then the movie turns out to be bad, and not only did you spend $8, but your friend spent $8. So I was, like, in denial. I'm like, well, no, it's not that bad. <laughs> While he was like, was James, bad. just, just... <laughs> 
just come to the conclusion that you know to be true. That movie was trash. It has a 6.3 oh. out of 10 on IMDb. It's got Amanda Bynes in it. She's oh. She might as well be dead. She's not in anything. Amanda Bynes is the poor man's Lindsay Lohan, who's the poor man's Marilyn Monroe, who's the poor man's nothing, because Marilyn is God. Wow, Amanda Bynes' last movie was 2010. Amanda Bynes' last train wreck was probably this morning when she woke up. Did you ever see Easy A in 2010? I obviously saw Easy A, James. Do you ever see that movie <laughs> with... good? No, it wasn't good. It obviously, it's... No. Did you, uh, I, there are people out there right now who are like, shame on Ryan. Easy A was a masterpiece. What was that one with her and, and Malcolm in the Middle and... And that was a big fat lie. Yeah, with big fat liar. With Paul Giamatti, how? That was actually Amanda Bynes' cinematic debut. Wow. Well, I mean, she was on all that prior, and all that not being a movie, I can understand why you, you would say that. But all that is a a, a pinnacle of comedy. In an, in and of itself, what a girl wants, which was terrible. What a girl needs. If you're just joining us, this is the Amanda Bynes podcast. Need me in your heart, and I thanking you for for giving it to me. You know what a girl wants. So thanks for listening. If you're just listening, it means a lot to us. If you want to go the extra mile, you can follow us on Twitter at Westworld Ryan. You can follow us on SoundCloud. If you want to go even further, you could let us have a nice review on the Apple Podcast app, which will help other people find the show. If you're really a champion, you can support us on Patreon. This is a labor of love. Ryan and I handle all the costs ourselves of hosting the audio and the website. So if you want to help offset that, you can find us on Patreon, the Westworld Podcast. And we just want to shout out to our awesome patrons and say thank you because you made this show possible thank you Bacaman, carol andreas john jewers major woody and richard hunter we have five patrons we like all of you so much thank you very very much for helping us out all right and join us in two weeks when we recap and review the 2005 cgi flop robots starring ewan mcgregor and amanda Bynes and mel brooks Produced by Blue Sky Studios, who we all know, they're just as famous as DreamWorks and Pixar. What else did Blue Sky Studios make? I don't fucking know. Probably a bunch of bullshit. Well, that's just... Blue Sky Studios... Oh, no, yeah, fuck me, I'm a dick. They also made Ice Age. (laughs) And, uh... Okay. And, uh... Wait, didn't you say Illumination made Ice Age? It was a collaboration. Um... (laughs) And, um... uh, They made Horton Here's a Who, which sucked... Uh, wow! The, hey, we we performed Susical in our high school, James. How dare you? They made you? Rio, which I don't like, but people do. Um, and they made Ferdinand most recently, which was uh, people said was horrible. I did like Rio, and I didn't see Ferdinand. I don't know what that is. I'm James, and I'm Ryan, and this is the West World Podcast. <laughs>